listening to Humanize Me with Bart Campolo. Hey everybody, welcome back to the show. Unless you're here for the first time, in which case, welcome to the show for the first time. And, you know, honestly, I don't know how many of you are here for the first time. Which means that those of you that have been here before aren't doing your jobs. You're supposed to be, I don't know, tweeting or or Facebooking or, or sending emails to people saying, hey, I like this podcast. Check out this episode. You're supposed to do that. Now, listen, if, if you like the sound of my voice so far, if you like the dulcet tones that you're hearing in your ear through this first class microphone, I got to tell you, you're in for a little bit of a rough ride because here, here's the deal. I, I, I know a few weeks ago I shared that Mar- my wife Marty's mom has been up and down health-wise and we're sort of navigating that whole um, kind of part of life, uh, that part of the circle. And uh, this past week, she she had a, 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 a problem with a medication. It ended up causing a fall and, and she ended up in the hospital with a little bit of pneumonia. And we, we, we had to jump in the car and drive through us the no storm for 12 hours to get from Cincinnati up here to the Upper Peninsula, where I am broadcasting from the freezing, clo- freezing cold, blizzard surrounded second floor of her home. Because we, we managed to get her home. We brought her home and she's doing way better. Um, and we're trying to figure stuff out here. But I'm, I'm going to be up here in Menominee for a few days. And the good news is, is that The conversation that I'm going to share with you this week is with my buddies from the world's, I think the world's most popular Jewish podcast. It's called Unorthodox. And I I have not one, not two, but all three hosts of the show, of that that podcast, on this podcast today. This is my conversation with Mark Oppenheimer, Stephanie Butnick, and Liel Leibovitz. And uh, if, if you like smart Jews... Smart, funny Jews, and who doesn't? You're you're in for a treat because I, I I don't know that I don't know what we accomplished in this podcast, but I know that I enjoyed whatever it was, um, and I learned a bunch. So so there you go. You're gonna enjoy this. But here's the bad news: I brought the right microphone up here, but I brought the wrong earphones, and when I plugged in the wrong earphones, it switched me over to the wrong microphone. And so these guys sound great because they were on the right microphones and I sound awful. Um, John's going to do what he can to fix it up. So maybe you won't, maybe you wouldn't have noticed if it had, if I didn't highlight it for you. But the, the good news is they do a ton of the talking um, as one might expect. There's three of them. It was three on one. Um, so I think you're really going to like this conversation. I liked it. And, you know, honestly, this doesn't always happen to me, but I got an email or I got a text from Mark like four hours after the podcast going like, that was amazing. When can we do part two? And, um, but I was on their podcast about a year ago and I think it's fabulous. So yeah, you should check them out. You should check this conversation out. You should forgive me for having a bad voice. Speaking of technical difficulties, if you are a listener to this podcast, you know that last week I dropped some knowledge. I promised in my conversation with John that we were going to start posting episodes or I guess posting recordings of the little humanist gathering that we're doing in my house now every two weeks with a bunch of friends um, here in Cincinnati. That's kind of like our version of a, a ritual, a ritualized form of mutual encouragement towards loving kindness. And we, sure enough, we had one last Sunday and we recorded it using the best technology we could find. And a lot of things went wrong. I think we got most of the pieces recapitulated, put together. I'm sending it to John. He's going to post it. I don't even know where we're going to post it. We may post it on, on Patreon. We may post it just as an episode of the podcast. However it is, you'll, you'll find out about it and in in, I'll send you an email if you're on the email list. And if you're not on the email list, you should really get on the email list. Uh, and all you have to do is go to the my website or, or, or go. It turns out we have a podcast website. The, it's it's humanizemepodcast.com. And if you go there or if you go to barcampola.org, either one will work fine. Um, you can just say, hey, I want to I get on that, that email list and you'll get on it. And then every week you'll know what episode's coming up. And people say they like that. 
And I try to put in encouraging little tidbits into the emails themselves. So even if you don't listen to the podcast, it's it's just, it's something. It's a little chunk of chunk of humanize me uh, coming at you through the electronic mail. All of that to say, we record. I I love doing these. I love doing these gatherings and. You know, we talked about it at length last week. If if you're interested in doing something in your own home, these might provide a template or you can just like steal everything. Like you can even play the talk um, and just do the do the the live stuff with your own live stuff. We'll give you all the stuff. So anyway, it's all going to be posted um, soon. But uh, the, the technical stuff isn't awesome on that either. I ju- I'm just not technically gifted. I, I you know, and. John and I were talking the other day. We had this friend who was helping with the social media. And, and, and if you follow that stuff, you notice that like for about, for about a month, I was looking good. I was like tweeting things and my Facebook page was updated and stuff like that. And then he got another job. Our buddy Scott. And, and we're like, he's probably listening. We love you, Scott. We, we, I, we hope you get fired and come back to work with us. Um, you know, and, we, and I mean that in the, in the kindest way. Um, but like Scott really understood the social media stuff. He was technically savvy. And for a minute there, I thought we were gonna, you know, take over the universe. Um, and we'll find somebody to help us, I hope. Like we need technical, we need technical assistance. Do I, do I sound like, do I sound like I'm whining? Cause I don't mean to sound like I'm whining. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna stop whining. And I'm gonna tell you two things. I'm gonna tell you that I heard a podcast couple of weeks ago. Um, I often share book recommendations, movies. This is an episode. I mean, I listen to this podcast. It's called Hidden Brain. And it's a very popular NPR-ish kind of podcast. But this particular episode is, it was like, it is made for human, humanize me people. It is made for people who are frustrated with people that don't see the world they do but want to love those people and don't want to, don't want to, don't want to be frustrated, don't want to be irritated and want to be understood. It's just, all I'm telling you is they did an episode called The Vegetable Lamb. And it's a terrible title for an episode, but it's, it's all about how information and misinformation is spreads in the world of science. I'm not talking about crazy religious ideas. I'm talking about science why evidence often isn't enough to convince others of the truth, even in the rational scientific community. And they never mention religion. And if you are a secular person trying to understand faith people or a faith person trying to make yourself understood to people like us, I'm telling you, this is one of the most wonderful episodes of podcasting I've ever heard. Um, It's only 38 minutes long. I can't recommend it more highly enough. It is, as soon as you listen to it, you will go, oh my gosh, I totally see why Bart thought this was so valuable. And you'll send me an email. Uh, you'll go to bartcampola.org and you'll send me an email and you'll say, thank you. So there, there, there it is. I, there's my recommendation. On the other side of the po- program, I'll give you a sweet quote. Um, but in between, this is me and Mark and Stephanie and Liel and I, I really think you're going to like these guys. I really like these guys. And I think you're going to learn something about how to relate to Jews that uh, will make the world a better place. And really, isn't that what we're here for? All right, let's get to it. The, the impetus for me wanting to talk to you guys right now um, was the Pittsburgh um, shooting. Because my first instinct after the Pittsburgh shooting was to reach out to all my Jewish friends and just just say, how you doing? Um, and I realized in that conversation that, you know, a lot of the people that I grew up with, that grew up in that evangelical Christian community or just, you know, Gentile of, of any oak and, and are out, they have like a weird relationship with Jews. And when something like that Pittsburgh thing happens, they're like, I don't want to be anti-Semitic. I, and, and I started thinking and actually talking with Mark a little bit about like what it means to be actively pro-Semitic. And I don't know if that like, is that even a word? So the word you'll hear sometimes is, is philo-Semitism, you know, love of Jews. And, um, 
you know, you'll you'll read stuff about about the sort of philo or philosemitism of the evangelical community, and um, and and sometimes it's it's positive and sometimes it's negative. Like you'll see the word describing people who genuinely, truly care for Jews and and want to know them well and and want, and have their best interests at heart. You'll also see the word referring to um, the the kind of people whose ultra Zionism has to do with Jews returning to the promised land so that there can be a second coming of Jesus so that we can all convert and the world can be sort of live in a, in a Christian dispensation. And that's a sort of less positive vision of what Jews are, are good for. So you'll see, you'll see philosemitism used in both ways, I think. Right. But Mark, I think, I think the, the most important thing to note here is that if people really want to be philosemitic and, and really feel the need to, to be nice to Jews, I think the first step is to listen and subscribe to Unorthodox. Right, our podcast is a Maybe good, a good entry money. point. It's you a know, gateway. Yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, does that answer your question, Bart? I, I, but we're we're all. I actually think there. It'd be interesting to be pro-Semitic. Um, like I think you have a different. There's a different connotation you're going for, which is like. You know, how can we help our Jewish friends? How can we be out there being actively like down with the Jews? But, you know, it's 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 kind of more than that, even like my experience. I mean, it's funny because when all this anti-Semitism comes up, I like I, I mean, I grew up really differently. I mean, I grew up in, in my dad was an Italian immigrant who grew up in a Jewish neighborhood in West Philadelphia. And his mother basically was like, just be more like the Jews. Just, just, just the Jews have it. They know what they're doing. Like follow the Jews, love the Jews, you know? And so he just like it grows up. Which is up funny because some of us grew up in, in, in Catholic neighborhoods and our parents say be more like the Protestants. That's right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, but, but I mean, on a, on a pure, like look at the world basis, you go like in terms of, you know, out punching their weight. Like nobody has, nobody has a bigger impact, bigger positive impact on the world per capita than Jews, right? Almost like we were divinely elected for for some mission like or, or something. But it's it's weird. Like when I hear that, I get a little like cringy. That's what I wonder. Because I'm like. Mm, I don't like like think think about positive stereotypes of Jews. People, a lot of people say like you know there's a, you know for being point whatever percent of the population you're you're ten million percent of the Nobel Prize winners or you know for you for having such a small um, rep- representation population wise you are there's so many people in this industry right. and, like, and Bart for, for the education of, of some of your listeners the type of email that says so many Jews win Nobel Prizes and produce movies are sent by precisely two sorts of people your uncle Seymour and you know Stormfront magazine white national dot org there's a weird way in which Jews want to be proud of their success in America right like we you know came here with nothing and now look look at us but it also makes a lot of us deeply uncomfortable because we don't want to draw attention because we know that a lot of nefarious uh, subtext to to sort of these like anti-Jewish sentiments is like, oh, look at Jews. They run the banks. They run the movies. They run this. And it's like it's 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 a fine line between even even, you know, Jews right. and money like Jews are good with money. That 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 stereotype is often used as a compliment. But if I hear that, I feel I feel genuinely uncomfortable because that's something that is deeply problematic. And, and, right. and then has, the knives come out like four seconds later. Yeah. And as we discuss on our episode that airs this week, it's like it, it's a something that's been weaponized and it comes out of out of anti-Semitism and it's been weaponized by anti-Semites. And it's it's a little icky for me uh, to, to, to give you a taste of that famous Jewish disagreement. Um, I, 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 I have less problem with it, to be frank, because um, I, I think this principle of chosenness, if you take it seriously as a theological idea, which I really do, uh, you know, both seriously and uncomplicatedly, I see it as a sort of, 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 you know, as a sort of theological engine, you know, the thing that drives us to all these successes. It's not the success necessarily that matters to me. It's the spirit that animates it, the spirit that derives from at some point in history being brought together as a people uh, asked by God or called by God onto this, you know, task of being a, a, a nation of priests, uh, etc., which takes a lot of figuring out to do. And that figuring out, I think, is what moves 
all these accomplishments, all these uh, you know moral obligations, uh, all this greatness. But but Leo, that's so weird for me to hear you say that. I mean, I, it, it makes sense knowing you, but like it's it's still weird for me to hear you say that because the like one of the reasons I feel so attracted to Judaism is whenever I say to people like, look, these are all these values and things I love. You know, you know, but I can't believe in a supernatural God. I don't believe in any of that. People go like, oh, you're a Jew. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, like Ju Judaism is the only sort of group that like you can still get into if you don't believe in God at all. Well, uh, right. I mean, there are all kinds of Jews. And I think, you know, my point of view, we've talked about this part is that um, is that most of our most of us have a relationship to theism that changes daily if not hourly right i mistrust anyone who says i'm an atheist only because i think at some points in the day or the week or the month or year they're not just as i really mistrust people who say you know as rod dreyer once said to me that he always believes in god that it's that he never has doubts or he says sometimes i don't feel it as deeply but it's you know where it's occluded the clouds go in front of the sun but i know it's there and i thought really like all the time and i think most people are are somewhere on that on that continuum uh, in a fluctuating way. I think the thing about Judaism is that it's not the most important conversation for us, or it's not the only important conversation in the way that for evangelical Christians, no other conversation even comes close. Um, so, you know, we have we have other conversations that we have to have because we have a principle of dissent, right? We have some claim to being Jewish if, if our mother was and some would say if our father was as well. Um, and, and we have, um, and there is a strong, there are several Jewish cultures, right? That um, the, the, the Ashkenazi one being most prominent in America. So there's other conversations to have. Um, but yes, like, I think, I mean, you, you, you vibe as very Jewish to me. Like, you, you know, we'd, we'd be happy to welcome you on board. Well, and, and, and thank you. Athe atheism and all you're welcome. Yeah, and, and, and that, but I think that that's the question that I have is one of the things Mark you once said to me was that, you know, you don't feel like anti-Semitism is all around you all the time here in the United States at this stage in the game, but you feel like it's like an inch below the surface and could be re-tapped into at any time. I think- uh, Did I get that right? More, yeah. I mean, I, I might've said that. It, it sounds right. The- my old teacher, Paula Hyman, who was one of the great pioneers of Jewish women's history and also, you know, sort of modern Jewish history, French Jewish history as well. She always said that um, it's cyclical. It always comes back, you know, so sometimes it really is pretty well gone, except it always comes back. And I think that's right. And do you think it, I mean, I mean, in, in this, like we're living in this very identity politics time right now. And I, I and I don't, you know, I mean. I don't even know how to define identity politics in a clear, cogent way half the time. But that's because but you're normal. This, what's that? That's because you're normal. You're th you're thinking about more important things. <laughs> but is this a time where it comes back? Well, I don't think so. So, see, I share the problem that I hear you may be having with identity politics. I think it is a it is a kind of a, a thwarted, not particularly intelligent and definitely not interesting conversation uh, and the sort of people who are having it are the sort of people who are actually not interested in real answers they're interested in creating some sort of hierarchy uh, of suffering that you know oddly uh, almost never includes the Jews as if you know we don't have any suffering to show uh, but but I could say you know like you this is not a question that interests me in the context of our our silly uh, little debate about identity politics that we're having in the media. What interests us more, and I think part of the reason why we have the show, is the kind of first question that you asked. Hey, I thought I could be this thing without believing in God. Honestly, you know, Bart, that's a question I still grapple with. I mean, most mornings, I'm kind of in the Rod Rare camp. Like, I, I feel God, uh, you know, uh, often, uh, almost always, uh, wherever I go. And like, there are days in which I say to myself, but it doesn't make sense. You know, how could you really be in this club and not believe in the thing that's so central to it? And then I hear, you know, voices like Stephanie's and Mark's be like, yes, their answers are very good and they make a lot of sense. But then a day later, I feel very different. So I think for us, the discussion about religion versus people versus culture and the push and pull of every single one of those threads is very, very massive. And, and you want to be very intelligent about it, not 
to open the borders too porously, as in to say, well, whoever feels Jewish is Jewish, because that's clearly not true. And at the second, and, and, and at the same time, not to be like, well, whoever doesn't pray three times a day and sacrifices a bull upon the altar is not Jewish. You know, y- you want to kind of have a, an important, meaningful conversation. I think that conversation is is so much of what Judaism is and has always been. So it's it's like I, I can't just get in by watching Mrs. Maisel. Look, you can. That'll be a good start. Also, because I appear in a <laughs> flicker of the last scene as an extra on season two, episode three. Are you so that serious? Is a good start. Yeah. Yes. Oh Our producer that, Josh Cross like, and I. That's a Jewish status symbol, isn't it? It's yeah. It's like my bat mitzvah <laughs> was my first rite of passage. This is my adult Jewish rite of passage. I'm but so look, proud. There's a way in which part of being pro-Jewish, right? Like philo-Semitic, I don't think is the right word here. I think you want to be pro-Jewish. It's like, yeah, you can take in the kind of culture, popular culture that that sort of depicts Jews. Um, And, you know, I can't tell you the number of people who are not Jewish, who I've met or encountered, who have basically said to me, oh, you know, like who see me. And they're like, you know, I I forgot to tell you, I've been watching Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> as a way of saying, like, I did a Jewish thing, and that to I, me, I like, the Jewish, it makes me a little uncomfortable because I'm like, do they know why? Why did she just say that to me? And my husband will be like, you were on the show, like, you cannot be mad that people are identifying you with Jewish shows. Um, but I think there's a way in which being just supportive, right? Not just saying, oh, you know, Jews are Jews are are fine. They they they're not a minority like you can there's a way in which non-jews can be supported by just listening right like an awful thing happened in a synagogue that that sadly is what it takes for a lot of people to pay attention um and now that hopefully we have people's attention they can you know think about the ways in which we we consider different groups right like Jew, jews clearly were targeted for being jews and i think it I think it just calls for all of us to think, you know, what does it mean to be what does it mean to be Jewish? What does it mean to go to a place and not feel safe in your in your house of worship? There there was um there's an interesting problem it occurs to me that you're kind of grappling towards, which is that if I want to find out what it is to be an evangelical, I know where to go. There's there's a mega church somewhere off a highway interstate that's been market tested and has a really good food court and will welcome me and give me a one hour those free parking spaces, free good parking with a one hour show with a good rock band, uh, with a strangely underdressed female lead singer who's probably married to the pastor. Right, Bart? Something like, you tells know. me you've been to this church. Right. I've been to that <laughs> church. Right. I know how to get to that church and experience a certain kind of evangelicalism. I think a lot of people who want to be pro-Jewish don't know. I mean, as Stephanie said, like one start is watching Mrs. Mays. Like one start is encountering some aspect of Jewish culture. Right. And engaging with it. Um, uh but beyond that, what's the next step or what's a different step? People don't go to Israel. Go to, so going to Israel is one way, though most American Jews have never been to Israel. Right. So that's, sure. you know, that that's one way. And then you'll meet Israelis who are, you know, our beloved cousins. And Israelis. <laughs> we even let them on American podcasts sometimes. Um, and and uh uh, but what what does one do? And there's no one answer. Right? I can't say, well, go to the synagogue on the corner of, you know, fifth and elm and you'll find judaism because that's the judaism for some people we have you know it's sort of like saying how do i encounter christianity right because the catholics will have an answer fifty thousand varieties of protestants will have answers the eastern orthodox will have an answer so there's no one good answer one thing i would say is um that most gentiles i know who who don't know a lot of jews they tend to define judaism through the one or two jews whom they do know so if they knew an Orthodox guy growing up or an Orthodox woman, ah, I knew some Jews once, you know, there was there was Moishe the butcher. He was this Orthodox guy, maybe. Or if they grew up in a fairly sec- secular, uh, you know, liberal community with, and knew a lot of secular or highly reform or assimilated Jews, they say, oh, Jews don't believe in God and Jews do everything they want to say. Enough, I think the same is true of Jews and other Jews, right? Like, you know, I know people who know precisely one Orthodox person be like, oh, Orthodox people do this. Be like, right. That Orthodox person is one of maybe 17 different you right. know, flavors of Orthodoxy. Right. Like, no. So I think part of what I would say, Bart, is uh, if someone were serious about saying, I, I want to know this people better, there's a little homework that's involved. So I was very moved after the Pittsburgh shootings when some of my neighbors showed up at my synagogue that Saturday. And these and my synagogue is a fairly um, observant place with a pretty long service. Uh, and 
they saw a kind of Judaism that they hadn't seen before that took them. It's more about the reading of the Torah or, or for that matter, that most Jews have never seen before. Right. Right. And that has really nothing to do with Mrs. Maisel. Uh, so that what they got in those three hours on that Saturday morning was an insight into a chunk of Judaism that Woody Allen and the bagel shop and Mrs. Maisel don't give you. Well, and then you watch Maisel after. Right. At, <laughs> you while go eating home. a bagel and a, and a, a, a babka. Right. Well, and that's the thing. Like, I, you know, I grew up in the suburbs and went to an Ivy League university. And so the, you know, and went to Haverford College before that. So, you know, the Jews I was hanging around with were these ultra liberal um, you know, highly educated, mostly secular Jews. And yeah. so like, maybe, you know, maybe I'm not as pro-Jewish as I thought. Like, you know, because I, 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 I would probably be as not, I, I would probably be as disoriented by the, you know, Liel's gang as I am when I walk into a really fervently believing charismatic Christian college, congregation where I'm like, you guys really believe this stuff? <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, yeah, whereas I the mean, Jews I, I was around, the Jews I was around were, you know, these were the, the architects of secular humanism, if right. you will. And one of the things, one of the points I always want to make, and this comes up a lot as certain members of Congress and others are grappling with their own issues of anti-Semitism or the Women's March, which has had anti-Semitism at, at the highest levels, when they try to formulate apologies and say, oh, we're down with the Jews. They prove this by always reaching out and getting a pat on the back from some super, super secular, assimilated left-wing Jews, um, many of whom are my people, right? And and those are the people I come from. But the real test, if, if are you, do you care for Jews? Do you, do you understand Jews is, can you also spend time with people who are not the most comfortable Jews for you, right? Who Jews who are fervent God believers or Jews who dress in particular ways that mark them as Jewish, Jews who aren't really, really safe, you know, the, the, the NPR Jews. And, and a lot of people who are looking to be, uh, to feel that they know Jews don't actually want to know right. those Jews as well, including think, many Jews. I, I, think, I think that's exactly the, the, the kind of right litmus test. And I think, again, it has to do, the answer is true internally as well externally, right? Because it has also to do with, I think, any Jew who wants to be seriously sort of Jewish literate or, or Jewishly literate uh, ought to take the same course and A, uh, study and understand a little bit about the fundaments of both the culture, the history, the people, and the religion. Which, B, listen to our podcast. Uh, well, first listen to our right. podcast, then study, then really start interacting with all sorts of Jews. So, you know, when I, for example, uh, I have a, a long time and well documented Catholic fetish. Uh, so in addition to reading, I also did exactly what Mark just prescribed. It's like, okay, I'm I'm going to go hang out with some conservative Catholics who sound and feel and talk exactly like I do. And then I'm going to seek out super, super liberal Jesuits who say things like, wait, do you believe this? Well, yeah, because there's never one flavor to any one strand of humans. That's the genius of humans. Yeah, yeah, I mean – it's it's so interesting to me because even as I'm hearing you guys talking about this, I'm also vaguely aware that, not vaguely aware, but fairly aware that within the American Jewish community, there's a lot of fear that American Jews are losing their identity. Like what, 70% of you intermarry? Um, you know, like all the, all the things that like the, that, this huge focus on education and, and rational thought and stuff, all the stuff that I like, that like draws me to Jew to Judaism. Like w when I talk to some of my Jewish friends, they're like, yeah, that's fading away, buddy. We're not, yeah. we're not as sharp as we used to be. Oh yeah. I mean, you know, your average Jewish kid today is just a lacrosse playing, you know, uh, Fortnite playing vaping bro or, or not that there's anything wrong with bro at <laughs> what's the feminine of bro. Bra. Bra. Bro or bra. I mean, yeah, there's, I don't see a lot special about my kids' generation, I have to say. I mean, they, look, the immigrant hunger is gone, it, you know, not entirely, right? We have, we have actually a lot of immigrant Jews. Um, they're immigrant, immigrant Jews coming from, from places where there's a lot of anti-Semitism from, from parts of Europe. Russia is still sending us uh, immigrants. There are a lot of Israeli, <laughs> I mean, a lot of the immigrant Jews to America are Israelis. That's true. Uh, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of them. So, but- in, in the broad Ashkenazi mainstream, uh, the immigrant hunger is gone and our kids are, um, you know, they're American. They feel like Americans. See, unsurprisingly, my explanation to the same uh, phenomenon and a phenomenon, obviously, that troubles me. I, I like to say that I think there's nothing sadder than a dumb Jew and there are 
a lot of those. <laughs> so many dumb Jews these days. Uh, my explanation is not you know sociological as much as it is theological. I think there is a specific thing that whether you believed it or not, whether you practice it perfectly or or imperfectly, gave you some kind of driving spirit that drove you to certain achievements or, or unlocked certain mysteries. Once you become so removed from it that it is no longer part of your mental furniture, even in the back, 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 back of your mind, right? Once you look at a page of Talmud and it means nothing to you, once you read a Bible and it absolutely you know, does not speak to you and sound completely foreign to you, once all that tradition has been completely cast aside, you really, you know, in, in, in this foundational, fundamental way, sure, you still belong to the Jewish people, but there's nothing about the, 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 the kind of, you know, uh, essence. You're just like everybody else. You're just, You're just like, like everybody, everybody else. else. I don't know. I don't... I don't have such a stringent take on that. Like I Thank feel, I that. feel, you know, I'm the resident young person on this podcast. Um, there are people for whom like a bagel with locks is a religious experience. And yes, that's problematic in a lot of ways, but I don't think we are like, I think we are very quick to write off all these people, but you know, who's to say what is, I know obviously Jewish texts and stuff is important, but I don't know. I think that, we're dealing with a generation of people who are expecting to do things their way on their own time. And so Judaism has changed over See, but, millennia. But me, here's, I agree with you up until the last sentence because to me the whole notion of peoplehood is that you don't get to do things your way. You do things the way your people do it and have always done it with variations, with conversations, What about with like an app where you could schedule it at a time that works for you? Yeah. Delivered to your house? Yeah. See, I, I hate to say this, Stephanie. I really hate to say this, but I, I think Leo's right because <laughs> – you know, when I think about the work that I'm doing among secular people, I mean, you know, sometimes people jokingly say, you're trying to invent your own religion. And I go like, exactly. Because religion does something in terms of a tribe in holding it together, but also in focusing its individual members on their 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 own values like they 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 drive they they they're part of the tribe because they share those values but none of us can hold on to our values by ourselves we need to be reminded daily weekly we need to have all these rituals and all these things and so you know the idea of like i'm going to do this my own way on my own time i'm like you're can, missing the point can i can i split the difference here i i think that Bart, you know that I think that you're right about the importance of, of rituals and structures and routines. And in, in terms of, I mean, I think Liel would, would emphasize the, the theological um, outlook that works through those kind of those structures, but, but also community building, right? That like it's, it's community building, I but mean, it's something, if, if I may, a very quick interruption. So, so recently-ish, I, I started praying three times a day, right? Um, even if you take out the actual belief, right, the knowledge that three blocks of time amounting to about, say, an hour and an hour and 15 minutes a day, right, are blocked by me doing a specific thing at a specific time, reciting a specific text that everyone else around me is doing at the exact same time. That's a very powerful kind yes, of yes, resetting agreed. of the of the. That's what Mark's saying. So, so yeah. here's but here's where I want to want to say that Stephanie's onto something as well. Right. Which is um, there are people uh whom Stephanie's talking about for whom the encounter with Jewish cuisine or what they with or what they engage as Jewish culture um, is is really profoundly about membership and belonging. That is to say, they are really excited to feel when they walk into a restaurant that's Jewish in some sense or into um, a theater show where they know 90% of the people here are Jewish because it's the, it's the Yiddish fiddler on the roof or listening to the podcast. And we've actually become that common text for a lot of people who are really excited to be like, yeah, I'm Jewish and this is my Jewish thing. And their sense of their sense of ethnic belonging and of solidarity and of being part of a civilization is really, really strong through the portal that they're entering it. And in fact, stronger than people who have a superficial kind of aspirational, but ultimately not very rich engagement with text. Like sometimes I'll, I'll be in a synagogue and I'll walk past the room where they're doing like, you know, Tuesday morning Maimonides or Rashi study. And there's a few people there and they look a little bored, but they told themselves, I'm going to learn this year. Like this is the year I'll take one of the rabbi's classes. And they look pretty checked out and they seem to have less sort of zest and vigor for their community they're part of than some people who do like Jewish single stuff that revolves okay, wait, around Wait, 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 wait. Shots. Now I'm going to interrupt you because- That's oh, very Jewish Like it's you. your podcast or something, Campolo? Yeah. Well, no, and Stephanie- 
I'm, I'm, I'm coming at you, okay? Because I'm ready as, for it. I thought we were friends, but I'm we, ready for Mark, it. She just watched The Godfather for the first time on Saturday. Just watch out, man. You come to me. <laughs> as a secular humanist who yes. used to be an evangelical Christian. As a secular what my father always says to me is, he says, you know, he says, you talk about all these morals, but he said, they were all developed by the Christians in the church and you're running on the fumes of our religion. And what I want to say to you is, that is and, and like, I take offense to that, but I know where he's coming from. What I want to say to your dad is the Christians didn't actually like, like, them. You <laughs> take course, of, of course, of course, Stop. There's, there's layers of wrongness in this. Whole thing. But, but Stephanie, Yes. When you're when you and your app loving bagel sniffing <laughs> young people are like going like I'm so Jewish look at look at me eating a bagel um what I think is is that that is only meaningful because Liel and his buddies and all the rest of them are still doing all the all the stuff so like you, you guys you get like a little bit of like a little a bit past. past okay a so little here's past what I in think. there but if they all started do, living like you lived if everybody was living like you you and your buddies are living the bagel would mean nothing before stephanie answers you should know that mark just wrote in big letters the phrase bagel sniffing on a piece of paper <laughs> and is just waving it around happily look Go i you know like I, we've been called bagel munchers bart but no one's ever called us bagel sniffers before <laughs> What I, and here I am trying to be pro 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 Jewish, pro Semitic, and I'm 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 coming up with new I slurs. S- I sniff like an everything bagel this morning. I'm feeling great. Um, what I think if, that I'm actually most—it's the anorexic Jewess's diet. When <laughs> I sniff the bagel, when I what 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 I am most moved by are organizations that are started started by young Jewish people. For example, there's one called At the Well, which is Jewish women um, converging on these Rosh Hodesh on the on the first of the month and sort of celebrating Jewish female ritual and taking back you know these like ritual purity laws, like it's sort of finding meaning in things that are like specifically female and divine and things like that. And to me, that is a very powerful way. Look, we've all been turned off by the Jewish communal structure. There's, It's less about the books and less about the text and more about the fact that like, okay, you went to Hebrew school and it was probably boring. And then they tried to make you go to Hebrew high school. And then maybe you were active in Hillel. And then now you're in a city by yourself. And I, I think that we have to be realistic about the trends of, of, of just society right now, of demographics. People are not getting married as young as they used to. They're not moving to the suburbs. They're not instinctively joining a synagogue right away so that their kids can go to preschool. Like there are are a a big bulk of people who are sort of like in between all of these things. And And, and that's, but Stephanie, that's what I'm saying to you is I think there's one generation that are part of those institutions. And then there's a second generation that's identity is defined by stepping away from those institutions and going like, I grew up that way. I'm not that way anymore. And you're like, yeah, that's what we have in common. But then what I'm saying is one generation down the road, you got nothing. Well, I think what I'm saying is like there are people who are trying to find new Jewish ways of of engaging and I and they don't know what it looks like yet. And there's a lot of groups being formed. You know, there's people who do things called Moisha House, which is just basically like these houses in in places and people live there and they do programming for young people. People are really, really, really trying because I think in a lot of ways they've been failed by our, our institutions, religious and communal alike, because there is no place for a young, for a single person. Like you don't, you can't join at the family rate. You know, why would you join a synagogue if you're single? Like there's a lot for of the, just- For the non-Orthodox. Yeah, the non-Orthodox, right? right? I think the Orthodox like, are brought into structures really, really well. But I think there's a way in which we, we can't just look at these people and be like, oh, they're gone. They like bagels. They don't go to synagogue in the way that we do. And I, I don't like the way that looks. I mean, I think we need to be open to the fact that the young Jewish life today looks very different than it did a generation ago, but that doesn't mean it's not there. But look, if it, ultimately the question you're talking about is, is there something in the blood, right? Like, can it, can it just dissipate down to almost no text knowledge and a very sort of attenuated cultural knowledge that doesn't know Yiddish anymore and that doesn't live in Jewish neighborhoods anymore and whatever. But there's some ancestral, you're one-eighth Jewish, right? Let's look two generations down. you got people who are one-eighth or one-sixteenth Jewish who feel Jewish because it's interesting and maybe the family lore that means the most to them is the particular great-grandparent or grandparent who had a strong knowledge base. Are you right? talking about the Elizabeth Warren Jews? 
Exactly. Right. Yeah. And at that point, what is it now? The Lubavitcher Hasidim would say to you, every Jew has a spark, right? It's still there. The Jew is still constitutionally different from the Gentile. And if you find the right way to access that spark by inviting them to a Shabbat dinner or asking them to put on to fill in the, the little prayer boxes that you wrap around your arm and head, if you're a Jewish man or ask the Jewish woman to light Shabbat candles, the spark can get reignited and we can begin to lead them back down the road to sort of meaningful ritual engagement and learning and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and there are some people people for whom that's true, but they believe metaphysically that the spark is still there inside the Jewish soul, no matter how attenuated the, the, you know, no matter what 23andMe or Ancestry.com tells you. And then there's those of us who are a little, and I don't know where Leah would come down on that. Um, then there are those of us who are a little more in the, in the rationalist, you know, uh, Darwinian mindset would say, ah, there's no Jewish spark coded into my DNA, there's something that has to be preserved. And at some point, the cord is just cut. And what a dad like me is struggling for is to make sure that it's not with my children that the cord is finally cut. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, to me, it's such a problematic, if it's in the blood, like that's really, whenever people talk about it's in the blood, it's in the genes, it gets problematic. Well, if only. I mean, it is problematic in the hands of Nazis, right? But if only, right? If only you could say that there's always something that could be re-accessed just by, by, you know, rubbing behind the left earlobe or something. I mean, look, this is fairly, maybe I'm being cavalier about evangelicals, Bart. You tell me. Yeah, it's so easy for evangelicals because all it takes to reignite it, if you're, I mean, here you are, you're this total heretic. You've, you've fallen away. You don't believe the narrative anymore. What happens if your great-great-granddaughter uh, wants to re-engage I, I, am I mistaken? Does she just respond to an altar call? And one day at church, she goes up oh, you're and, in. and gets it's baptized all about- and she's a thousand percent back in. Right. Yeah, you, yeah. If you believe you're in. And Judaism, like, uh-uh, you know, I mean, leaving aside the whole question of, of how difficult conversion processes are, we say you have to have a Jewish mother or father. Or I mean, there's so many, there's barriers upon barriers upon barriers. Yep. See, and my thing is, I believe, like, I believe that humans are tribal for very evolutionary reasons. And the reason I like, the, the reason I'm so attracted to Judaism or Jews is because I feel like it's the, it, if, if being tribal is human, Jew, Jews are like, they're the, pen, they're the ultimate, like the, the, they're, they're the tribe that does it, you know, figured it out. And and survived against all odds, um, and so I, what I want to take the reason I'm so excited about Judaism is is just because I feel like there's so much to learn about being tribal, and I feel like if the Jews lose that, they they would just have to go back and study old Judaism again and like learn like oh yeah we're gonna need some rituals we're gonna need some songs no well here's we're, look we're, Bart here's the good news right and. And Liel's chomping. I have to, bad news. Right, I'll give you the good news. The good news is Jews aren't going anywhere because we have about a million ultra-Orthodox Jews who are having seven to 12 kids per family. That is good news. Right. So there's the news that like Jews aren't going anywhere. But here's the thing. Those aren't the Jews you fell in love with. Um, I think they're lovable. And I think that they are as they are as meaningful a part of the community as I am. But the Jews that secular and liberal American Westerners fall in love with are open minded and and NPR listening and New Yorker reading and fully engaged with modernity. They're sort of like the ultimate awesome, you know, modern and postmodern, you know, culture vultures. And that's not the Jews who are marrying Jews and having seven to 12 children. So how are you feeling about like the days when you have to go talk to like Breslover Hasidim in Brooklyn, in Borough Park to get your Jewish fix? It's a different it's a different thing. I think it'll be interesting, but it's. At that point, we've ceased to become the sort of mediators of modernity par excellence that you want us to be. And and in a weird way, and, and herein lies the bad news, right? And in, in a weird way, I think this challenge is not so much, uh, or l- let me put it like this, this challenge is, is indicative not just of the state of the Jewish community, but also very much of the state of modernity. Because this thing, Bart, that you so graciously and generously said that you felt attracted to, this tribalism, right? Uh, is actually the one thing that so much of contemporary political culture is responding vehemently against. Well, what do you mean you guys are different? What do you mean you're not part of this 
global universal sameness. What do you mean you're a people apart? It sounds, you know, like ethno-nationalist. It sounds bad. It sounds bigoted in some sort of weird way, according to today's, uh, you know, I don't want to use the word replacement theology, but I think that's much of what the left is, is in de facto practicing. Um, we have to watch out against that. And I think uh, that is an overwhelming challenge to a lot of not very uh, educated uh, contemporary Jews who just come up and say like, yeah, that feels icky to me. What do you mean I can't marry someone just because they're not Jewish? Um, that is pretty much a recipe guaranteeing that the Jews you will see 30, 40, 50 years from now, they're going to have beards and black hats. Because they're going to be all that's left. Yep. Bart, just so you know, we have five minutes left. I'm sorry. I know. To I know. I'm not, no, no, no. I'm, Bart, we would love I'm, to do two hours. We're really like, you're not imposing on us at, at all. all, at all. We love this conversation and this is amazing. Um, we just had th- this morning, we happened to have someone who could only come in at 10. Usually we have till noon. Like once we're done at 930, we have till noon. But this, th- no, this is fine. I mean, like what's, we'll do it again. Yeah, and we will, We'll and do we, it anytime you want us at like 930 or 10. We're yeah, on. No, we, we will. We'll keep talking. I, I mean, the weird thing is for me is like, I'm not frustrated because we're getting cut off. I'm frustrated because I feel like it, like intellectually, I'm not. Like I'm, like I, I'm not getting it. Like I'm not. I, I, there's something wrong with me. Um, like what what you just what you, said. What are you Leo, not getting? The tribalism thing. I, and I know. Like I get in trouble whenever I pray in praise of tribalism. I, I just I'm convinced that there is such a thing as a tribe that draws a circle and says, "This is us," and we're what def- right. what defines us is that we're not against them. We're for them, but we're not them. Cause we're us. Like, I think I want everybody to be in a tribe. Agreed. And I don't want all the tribes to be the same. That would be boring. I just want everybody to have one. Cause I don't think human beings do well when they feel like they're not part of something. Um, I will say something, you know, even I, I would take it a step further. I think you're absolutely right. I think in fact, if you really are looking for an ability to kind of understand and, and truly connect to other people, you could really only do it from the very specific vantage point of your own tribe-like experience. If you, if you believe this kind of, you know, mishmash of, of postmodernism, you know, everyone's alike, everything's the same, culture is an invention, that actually to me kills any possibility for real empathy. Yeah. Uh, and the other thing I'll say is I don't think I know that you get slammed as we do when we speak pro tribalism, but everyone loves a tribe when it's the Amish or the Quakers. Right. Everyone loves a sort of, you know, the, the tribe they think of as pacifist and beautifully bearded and they make good furniture. You know, you're your shakers, you're Amish or that. Right. Uh, they just don't like other tribes that, you know, stick their necks out too far or that 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 are a little too pushy or uh, whatever. or that, They don't like tribes of power. Yeah. So I, I look, I think you're right. I mean, I think to, you know, to get back to your question about what can someone do to be pro-Semitic, I, I actually think it, it involves meeting, I would give this prescription, meet some new Jews, right? Not just your Jewish neighbor, not just the Jew you encounter in your, in your weekly round of errands, the sort of Jews who are already in your circle. But, um, you know, go to, go to a service at the synagogue that's not the one who, that has a couple of your friends in it already. Yeah, and I'm going to say one and, last thing and, and I'm going to let you go. And that is, I, and, and Leo, you know, this isn't just because I like you, but like people should listen to the damn podcast because, <laughs> because the truth of the matter is, is that a lot of people know a lot of Jews, but they never talk to them about what it means to them to be Jewish. Like they, they And a lot of the Jews wouldn't want to talk about Judaism. I know. Because it make them ashamed or it, or it would skeech them out. And I think that that's the thing is that I think that leaves the field open for the people to make the snarky anti-Jewish comments because the rest of us in many cases don't feel confident enough in our Jewish dialogue. We don't feel like that we, that we can sort of say anything about Jewishness without or make a joke. Like I've made a couple of jokes and you're like, who are you? You're not allowed to joke. You know, you're not allowed to say those. And, and I feel like you have to. We hereby give you permission. Yeah, you have to hang around Rabbinic with Jews permission. enough that you get comfortable talking about Judaism. So then when something somebody says something negative about Judaism, you're able to you're able to speak to that you know, comfortably. So I just think like, I really appreciate your guys' willingness to go like, yeah, we'll set aside an hour and talk to Bart about like Jewishness. Absolutely. Well, you're you're a more interesting person to talk to about it than a lot of Jews we know. And um, uh, yeah, can we do this again sometime soon? Yeah, I love you. I love all three of you. And Stephanie, 
Forgive me. Love you too. Oh my I know, god! I know. I, 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 I know. I, I know. I came at you. I didn't mean to. You're so. You're so much nicer than these guys. <laughs> I can take. I can. I can take it. Don't worry. I'm not that young. All right. I hope you have a wonderful ten o'clock podcast. You're. You're beautiful. I'll talk to you guys later. God bless you. Thanks, Bart. Right. Oh, stop it. You, you're, that's cheap shots, Neil. Praise the Lord. Go to hell. <laughs> we don't believe. Bye, See man. you later. Bart is mashpocha. Do you know the word mashpocha, Bart? No. Uh, it's 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 family. It's Yiddish Yiddish or Hebrew for family. It's but mishpocha uh, is like your mishpocha, your family. What a nice thing to say. All right, I love you guys. I'll talk to you later. Love you too. Enjoy Bye. the snow. Bye. All right. So that was me and Mark and Stephanie and Liel. And could, could you tell? I I just think those guys are so lucky to have each other and I feel so lucky to kind of have had a couple of chances to drop in and sort of pretend I'm like the fourth unorthodox you know like the guys who tried to be the fifth beetle and I, I would like to you know I, I kind of I kind of long to be a secular Jew hanging with those guys um, but I'm not I'm a lonely humanist and the truth is, I'm only lonely when you don't take the time to send an email um, or to check in somehow uh, and, 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 and let me know that you're out there and that you're digging what we're doing or that you're hating what we're doing and you want us to, to, to pivot and do something better. Um, it's just great to hear from you when we hear from you. So, you know, you know how to reach me, barcampolo.org or, or, or humanizemepodcast.com, which I just found out there was such a thing. That takes you, they take you to the Humanize Me page and uh, you can get on the mailing list and we'll send you the stuff. Pretty soon we're going to have merchandise and I'll get into that in a minute, someday. Um, but, uh, but I promised you a quote and I got a quote that I think fits with that podcast I recommended at the, at the top of the show. And it's an Ingersoll quote and it's short and sweet and here it is. The truth is that nearly everybody is right about some things and wrong about most things. And if a man's testimony is not to be taken until he is right on every subject, witnesses will be extremely scarce. That is a good thing to remember, my brothers and sisters. That is a good thing for us to remember as we deal with our family members, as we deal with the crazy people all around us, and as we look in the mirror. All right. This was fun. It was this. I'm, I'm, I hope you enjoyed that, that conversation as much as I did. And I look forward to seeing you next time on Humanize Me. For more on BART, go to BartCampolo.org. If you like this podcast, please consider supporting it every month and get extra content for it. Go to Patreon.com slash Humanize Me. Our patrons do make the show happen. Follow us at Humanize Me Pod on Twitter and Humanize Me Podcast on Instagram. You can also join other listeners on our private Facebook group. Just search Humanize Me on Facebook. To ask your own question on the show, leave it as a voicemail at 424-291-2092. That's 424-291-2092. And finally, please review us on iTunes. It really helps. Catch you next week. Humanize Me is a production of Jux Media. Hey, you could be larger than life, bigger than the world, living out the hopes and dreams of every boy and every girl. Hey, you could fly higher than the sky, shine brighter than the stars. You can You could